number two. Frank Castle is dead. He died with his family. Number three. In certain extreme situations, the law is inadequate. In order to shame its inadequacy, it is necessary to act outside the law. To pursue natural justice. This is not vengeance. Revenge is not a valid motive, it's an emotional response. No, not vengeance. Punishment. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming back a returning guest uh, and one of my favorite podcasters, and that's Anthony Desiato. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back, and thank you for having me back to discuss the movie we're going to talk about because it was a fascinating rewatch, and I can't wait to talk about it. I, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the 2004 uh, Punisher movie, um, which I thought was an interesting choice from you because Superman's obviously your favorite DC character. You do the Digging for Kryptonite show. And when we had you on before, talked about Spider-Man, you said was another one of your favorite characters. Uh, so when I invited you to come back on again, and we were trying to go through the list of stuff because you're doing your own uh, podcast about the DC movies. And I was kind of surprised. I was not expecting you to choose the Punisher from that long list of Marvel films I, I gave you. Yeah, I get that. And I was reflecting on that I guess I don't talk about it a lot and and it's it ended up being more of a phase than an ongoing piece of my fandom but I was really into and I read the entirety of the Garth Ennis Punisher Max series mm-hmm. back in the day. I read it in trade. I still have that in trade. I'm looking at it on my shelf right now because as much as I've I've pruned a lot of my collection over the years, uh the Marvel Max stuff is not on the unlimited app right. because it's for mature readers. So I hung on to that. And yeah, I have very fond memories of reading that series. And 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 it is, I mean, admittedly, it is an outlier for me. The fact that it's Marvel, <laughs> number one. <laughs> and then even beyond that, you know, Superman, Spider-Man, there's more natural crossover like we talked about last right. time. But yeah, Punisher is a little bit of an outlier for me. But man, I love that run. I love that run so much. And, and I, you know, I, I had seen this movie before. And so it was kind of out there. And I was thinking about, yeah, what would be interesting? What would I want to revisit? What haven't you covered? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was kind of narrowing it down. And I, but I kind of came to this and I was like, yeah, like that would be would be fun to go back to. Yeah. Uh, before we dive too deep into the Punisher stuff, um, one of the things I'm doing with guests lately now is just kind of asking them what they're kind of into right now at the moment, like comics, movies, TV, video games, anything like that. Um, what is kind of the thing that you're you're really into right now at the moment? So this is kind of easy. So the the vast majority of the reading and watching that I'm doing is preparation for the Digging for Kryptonite podcast. Mm-hmm. But I would say the one pocket of, of of content that I'm consuming that's just for fun, that's just for entertainment, is Cobra Kai. My wife and I just binged uh, oh, the, the current yeah. season, and it's 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 so crazy because neither one of us is a huge Karate Kid fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even. We were talking about this. It's like I don't think I even saw the the original three back in the day i probably saw at least the first one but i i mean i barely remember it and these aren't movies that i've gone back to over and over again mm-hmm. but man the show is so like i know it's you know it, it's everyone's into it so i'm not breaking any new ground here but uh it, it's such a blast so much fun and we we got through 
I know you can identify mm-hmm. as as, uh, <laughs> as a parent of, of young children. It's hard. like we we barely ever binge anything anymore. We mm-hmm. still watch, but whatever we're watching, it will take us a lot longer to get through than it used to. But we did we did Cobra Kai, and I think maybe three nights. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in the day, we would have done it in you know one or two, but but still three for for not bad. We did it actually in one night and almost almost one night. I fell asleep during the last episode. Uh. <laughs> uh, we'd almost, but it was like it was like getting to four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we we had gone through the whole thing because those those episodes are so short that it's they're so consumable, and it's just like uh one more one more one more. And the next thing we know, it's four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, but we had actually had a similar experience because my wife never had any you know, foreknowledge or experience with the karate kid or anything like that. Um, and like you, I had watched the original at some point when I was a kid, there was that whole, I'm not sure if this was, I know you're a little bit younger than me, so I'm not sure if this was a little bit after a little bit before your time, but we had, there was this huge karate craze in the, in America during like the late eighties, early nineties, thanks to karate kid, thanks to uh, Ninja Turtles, uh, Power Rangers came in kind of like at the tail end of that. Um, but it was like this huge thing, like every kid was taking karate classes back then. And, um, so that movie really kind of tapped into that. And I hadn't thought of those movies in years until, um, and you being a a fellow, how I met your mother fan, I think you'll appreciate this too. Whenever, um, when William Zabka would appear on the show as himself. And I, I, I think in some way that kind of fueled the interest in a Cobra Kai series, I I think that's fair to say. I think that show, I think How I Met Your Mother really paved the way for that. And and especially this idea of, you know, as as much as it was played for laughs uh, coming from Barney yeah. on How I Met Your Mother, but this whole idea of looking at the Karate Kid from the perspective of of Johnny Lawrence, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, it, it, you know, you see that bear out in the show. And, you know, that was our way in when, when Cobra Kai started. And, and you know, kind of looking at everything from the lens of, of, of his character, you know, just really flipped everything. So, yeah, I think that it owes a debt of some sort to How I Met mm. Your Mother. <laughs> I, um, I posted a tweet about, like, the most liked tweet I've ever posted, saying that the, the, it's, Cobra Kai is such a weird show because the premise is so ridiculous when you sit and think about it. It's just like the a bunch of these middle-aged and older guys going to war with each other for control over after-school karate clubs. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, you know, the, the adults' level of interest in the kids and, and just everyone's you know, everyone's, you know, you know, passion is even too, you know, too small a word for obsession, for maybe and, yeah. for the competition. Yeah. This obsession. It's like, you really have to buy into that. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you don't or can't, then yeah, I think you might look at this and, and be like, like what, what, what are they doing? But I think if you can get on board with that, mm-hmm. like everyone is really into this, <laughs> then it all tracks. And it's, it's funny because I've gotten very wary of any sort of revival or continuation, you know, we've seen so many of them. And mm-hmm. in my experience, at least they're almost never satisfying. And in some cases you're like, man, I, they should have just left well enough alone. Right. This, I feel like is one of like the major exceptions where you look at it and it's like, you just were able to breathe such new life. And the fact that again, it works for someone like, and like myself who didn't have that connection to it. Mm-hmm. 
uh, really speaks volume. So yeah, it's always such a treat when, when they drop one of those seasons. So that's, yeah. the, that's what we just watched. Yeah. Um, my wife's the same way. Like she, and after she had watched the first season all the way through, we'd binged it and she just got hooked right from the first episode after that first season. She's like, I want to watch the movies now. So then we went and we rent, we got the original three movies. Um, so now, so she's all caught up and it's, it's so wild just seeing like all the, the people they're bringing back in. And I saw an article the other day saying that there's, you know, Hillary Swank may, may be coming in because she was the next Karate Kid. Uh, so that'd be interesting too. Um, but yeah, that's God. That's such a that's such a fun show. Um, that would have been my thing. Uh, I think right now I'm still really into She-Hulk though. I'm. Uh, I'd mentioned this in the last episode too, but that is just. It's just like every episode that drops, I'm just right there. It's it's so much fun. It's just like this. It really leans into the um, the the comedy aspects of the MCU and it, and it's, it's basically like a legal dramedy set in the MCU, which is such a fun change of pace. Yeah, that's actually, we are, believe it or not, we are current on that uh, as well. We've been watching that essentially weekly as it's been coming out. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a ton of fun and I, I'll be honest. I mean, I've gotten pretty burnt out on the MCU generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think might play into the conversation we have about Punisher. And I found it so refreshing in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think it it really speaks to the strength of She-Hulk that I'm watching that and, and really enjoying. And I think one of the reasons I like it is even though there's certainly we get nods and cameos and stuff like that, it really feels like its own thing and it's doing mm-hmm. its own thing. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And my wife and I, we were also really into Orphan Black. We oh, okay. Yeah. So we're big fans of her and, and getting to see her do this. Uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. So that's been that's been great, too. I've been hearing about Orphan Black a lot since She-Hulk came out. So that's something I'm going to have to I'm going to have to check out at some point. I'll just say this. And there's no spoilers or anything. So it ran for five seasons. The first couple are really, really strong. I mm-hmm. would say that as it went along, you know, her performances, <laughs> so she's playing multiple characters, are, are always the highlight. And it's always worth watching to see what she's doing with these different characters so it's it's always worth the watch but i feel like as a season as the seasons wore on the show kind of buckled under the weight of the mythology that it was trying to create and i don't think that that was ever its strength Mm -hmm. i think the strength was always in these different these different personalities that she was playing uh so yeah like it i feel like it kind of petered out a little bit but those first couple of seasons are like i even if you stop at that point it's worth watching I, i would definitely recommend it Unfortunately, that's kind of a trend with TV shows. It's either they they end too early or they go on too long. It's very rare that you find a TV show that goes <laughs> just the right length. Yeah, that's true. Um, so anyway, The Punisher, uh, you had mentioned the the Ennis Max stuff. And that is, I had reread that uh, a few years ago because they had had the, the trades on sale at Comixology. And that is, um, that was such a really interesting run of comics because they had taken the Punisher out of the the Marvel universe completely put him into basically a real world setting where he was actually a Vietnam vet he had aged in real time so even though he had fought in Vietnam now in the modern day he's like 60 and he's been doing this war on crime for like the past several decades and and there was it was such an interesting way to look at because if you look at the early Punisher comics from like the nineties, like the Chuck Dixon stuff, it's very one note, right? It's very like, you know, 
you know, right wing power fantasy type stuff. But this was like a very nuanced way of looking at different things about like U.S. foreign policy, about the role of policing, about human trafficking. The Slavers Arc remains one of the most intense comic book stories I've ever read. Um, and it was just like all these different parts of American society and 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 global society too, because he had even gone after um, done stuff with um, with uh, with Ireland and the IRA and stuff with with Russia and the post Soviet Union, and it was just such and using the Punisher as kind of like the the focal character as a way to go to tell all these different types of stories was really interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm so overdue for a reread and I, I remember so little of it to be perfectly honest. I just remember enjoying it and I'm trying to remember how I, I mean, I definitely read it in trade, but I feel like it might've been a binge to be honest. Mm. Like I don't think I was necessarily reading the trades as they came out. I feel like they were all out or mostly out. And then I kind of like tore through them, which the only downside of that is you look back and it's like <laughs> this big blur. Mm. Uh, so I'm definitely due for a reread and I all you know I should have I should have taken them out again uh, when I watched the John Bernthal uh, Netflix series, which I really enjoyed that take yeah. on the character as well. But uh, yeah, I'm really overdue for for a read. But I did have very fond, even if I don't remember all the specifics of, of the comics, I fond memories of 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 the series overall and really enjoying the take on the character. Did you ever look at? Did you ever read the Marvel Knight stuff, uh, Punisher that Ennis did with Steve Dillon? So I did, I did read Welcome Back, Frank. Now mm. for a really long time, now I, I believe they're all, uh, all the Marvel Knights Punisher stuff is on the Marvel Unlimited app, I believe. But prior to that, those trades were long out of print. So yeah. I remember wanting to read them <laughs> and not being able to. Uh, so unfortunately, I've never gone back and read, and read the rest of it, but I, I did read Welcome Back, Frank, because that they kept in print and I, yeah. I definitely had that. Yeah, I had that same problem a few years back where I I reread Welcome Back Frank and I'm like, okay, now, and then after this, I remember they did this our Marvel Knights ongoing before they did the Max stuff. Um and you go on you go online, you and it's you had Welcome Back Frank, you had the Max stuff and there's this huge gap in the middle where they had nothing. Um and then finally a few years back they did finally put those back into print. So I picked those up as well. Um and yeah, that was a that was a fun run. It was just it was, I'm not sure if you've ever read Preacher. Um, but have, it was, yes. Yeah. Very similar kind of tone to like the Preacher stuff. And I think if you're going to be doing the Punisher in the Marvel universe, you really got to kind of lean into the absurdity of it. Um, whereas, and it, it, it's, it shows what a, what a great writer uh, Ennis is because it had such, you know, the, the, um, the Marvel Knight stuff was very kind of tongue in cheek. It was very kind of, it was over the top violence. Whereas the, um, the the marvel max stuff was very tonally serious yeah i mean again i can't speak too much to the to the marvel knights uh, with the exception of welcome back frank but yeah i mean to be able to kind of spin stories in those two different directions and and have them work yeah really is a testament to him so uh yeah that's the, the marvel knights run is on is on the mm. list i'll get there eventually i might have to make a podcast project out of it for myself to force myself to do it. I'll, <laughs> I'll get there well, um, we do have the companion show where we talk about comics on this. So let me know if you ever want to do that. We can get that set up. Right on. Thank you. Um, but uh, so I was really excited about this is the second attempt. They'd gone through three attempts to bring Frank Castle to the big screen. You know, first it was Dolph Lundgren. I'm not sure if you ever saw that one. Um, I have not. It's it's basically like a standard 80s revenge movie, but 
I, I feel like I got to go back and give it a watch again and give it a, because um, a buddy of mine had said that it's actually much better than he remembered. So I'll have to go back and actually sit down and give it a chance. Um, then you had this one, and then you had um, the Punisher uh, Warzone with Ray Stevenson, which we had covered, um, I think, last year or two years ago. And they're each one basically missed the mark in some ways. Um, in fact, a friend of mine, guys pointed out about the, the Lundgren film. He said, if you actually kind of rework these, the order of these movies, it does kind of feel like you could basically get like an origin, like a, a, an, a consistent character arc. If you rework the, the release order, like if you look at this one first and then Warzone second, and then the Dolph Lundgren one as like the finale, there's actually a pretty consistent character growth throughout the three. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I've I've never seen the the Lundgren one. I you know I was trying to remember. I'm almost positive I did not see the Tom Jane one in theaters. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why because I mean I saw everything, especially comic book movies. Right. But I was thinking about it when this came. What was this? Two thousand four, something like that. Yeah, it's possible depending on when in the year it came like if i was 16 17 it might have been that i couldn't get in to see it because uh, it, was, it was rated r so it, it, that might have been why uh but i definitely remember watching it on dvd i just real quick i do remember seeing punisher Warzone in theaters on mm. opening night on opening night the biggest theater in in, in you know my town and there were so few of us in that day. i remember <laughs> thinking like oh like this doesn't bode well for this movie yeah. and uh it was not an enjoyable watch. I've, I've never gone back to it, but you know, look between you know what you and I have done when, when I've guessed it here and what I've what I've done on the Superman show. You often find you go back and you watch these things, and you don't have all that that baggage that you initially had the first time you went in, all the expectations, mm-hmm. everything that you're kind of pinning on it, uh, and then you can go back with the passage of time, and you might find something that you didn't totally appreciate. So that's why it was it was really really fun and worthwhile to go back to to this Tom Jane version. Yeah. The Warzone, it's it's an interesting watch. It's not a bad movie, but it's a very tonally inconsistent movie was the biggest thing I found when we rewatched it. Um, now, this movie, I was so pumped for this movie because I was, this was right when the Ennis stuff was coming out. I was buying those books monthly, so I was really into those at the time. Um, and me and a buddy of mine, we had always done like our, our comic book fan casting among ourselves. Tom Jane was always our pick for Punisher. Um, because we had seen this um, this little-known indie movie called Thursday. I'm not even sure if it's in print anywhere, but it was with Tom Jane and Aaron Eckhart. And it's just Tom Jane in that movie, you, you, despite his blonde hair, we're watching that and just like, that's Frank Castle. That guy is Frank Castle. You dye his hair black, that is Frank Castle. And so when they cast him as Frank Castle, we were over the moon. Um, and then when we saw this movie, I, I wanted to love this movie so much. And I defended like anything back then, I'm not sure if you went through this, but in the early aughts, you know, we were, I was so pumped, at least me personally, I was so pumped that we were getting all these comic book movies that even though they weren't that the best, I was, I defended those things <laughs> with my dying breath because that was all we had back then. And we'd been waiting for so long for anything, even half as good as this. Yeah, that was a, that was a special time uh, when especially these early Marvel movies, you know, we weren't yet into the MCU territory and, you know, now it's such a finely tuned machine and mm-hmm. they crank these out and, and all that. But yeah, it was, it was different then. I mean, I definitely, I haven't gone back to it in a long time, 
But based on my memory, I would still defend the Affleck Daredevil movie, specifically the director's cut. But look, I defended the theatrical cut, too, but especially the director's cut. There's a good movie there. And for people who are just like who totally wrote it off, it's like, no, missing out. I think if you take the Electra stuff out of that, the director's cut completely, it it's it's basically it's a really good Daredevil movie. The Electra stuff is just very extraneous, even especially in the director's cut. Um, you take all that out and the movie works perfectly well. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. So like with with this movie, like I said, I I remember watching it on DVD. I I don't think I ever owned it, but I might have, and then I sold it at some point along the way. It's like this isn't something that I've watched a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. once maybe twice. Although. Uh, the the thing about this movie that's that stuck with me more than anything else, and we messaged about this, was the soundtrack. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember in college, I actually commuted to Fordham. I didn't let it live on campus, so I had my commutes uh, back and forth from Westchester every day. And so a lot, a lot, a lot of CDs went through the rotation there, and mm. and that was one of them. And uh, so I'm a big fan of the soundtrack. Like the, that, oddly enough, stuck with me more than than anything. And uh, but so just last night I, I sat down to rewatch this. I watched it on Peacock. It's streaming on, mm. on the Peacock app here. Um, and it was just the regular theatrical cut. Have have you seen the director's cut? Yeah, yeah. The the extended cut, that's the one I've got. That's the one um because I had had the original theatrical cut. I bought that on DVD like when it came out. And then if I think it was like a few years later, they came out. I was in a DVD store and they had the extent. I'm like, whoa, there was an extended cut? What? And so I, I bought that right away and it's um it's a much I like the extended cut much better. Although some of the same problems that I found with the theatrical cut, they are also present in the extended cut. Whereas I think comparing to the Daredevil extended cut, which I think one of the things that it did well is it it downplayed the Electra stuff and it elevated the Kingpin stuff. So it made that like the central plot. Um, whereas this one, it's still the central plot's still more of the pretty much the same it's just you have some extra stuff like you get some extra stuff with um uh i'm not sure if you picked up on this in the theatrical cut or if they'd mentioned it at all but the reason that saint found out about who frank was was because of his partner because his partner had gambling debts and basically was forced to give him up and so there's a lot of extended subplots with that and i think that's most of where the 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 extended scenes come from Gotcha. Yeah. Watching the theatrical cut, you would have no idea. You know, the saint is just given that folder and it says classified, but you know, you don't, you don't know where it comes from, but I was just reading IMDB trivia. Uh, and it, and it mentioned that about the director's cut and this whole bit about the the partner selling him out because of the gambling debt. So I, I might track down the DVD. Cause I, I, I was very taken with this movie. Like I really enjoyed the experience. I'm, Again, my memory of it wasn't necessarily a negative one, but at the mm. same time, this wasn't a movie that I, I really held up as, as a, one of the great comic book movies. And I, right. I mean, to be honest, I still don't know how, you know, what category it would fall in for me, but it was just sort of like, yeah, it was solid. Like it was better mm. than the one that came after. Yeah. Not yeah. as good as the, uh, the you know, the the John Bernthal Netflix. That was sort of my overall view of it. Um, and so I sat down to watch this last night and I'll be totally honest. Like my plan was to fold laundry while I watched it. I had a couple <laughs> loads of laundry. Like, I'm gonna fold laundry. I watched this and I didn't touch the laundry. Like nice. I kept the lights out and I just like watched this thing. And I, I really, I was really into it. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I, I'll track down the extended cut cause I'd be curious to take a look at that too. It's worth a watch. Um, I know a lot of people have complained about the extended cut having some pacing issues which i could definitely see that i think one of the biggest problems with this is jonathan hensley's a very 
new direct like this is his first movie that he directed and he hasn't really directed much since so and like i was watching the when i was watching it last night i'm not sure if i know you've done some directing yourself but i was picking up on the guy loves his fades <laughs> like lots of fades <laughs> in, and, in and out of this movie yeah i was i guess i didn't clock that so much i didn't realize this this was his first feature um uh, you know, I mean, as far as where where this movie falters for me, I don't know. I, I think the two main things, the Tampa setting, yeah, it's not fatal to the movie, but I think it 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 loses something by not being set in New York. And and Travolta, I don't I don't really care for him as the our central antagonist here. And I know, you know, this was still when he was sort of riding that career resurgence that started with Pulp Fiction and everything, mm -hmm. but. This even still like ten years after Pulp Fiction, I I don't know I didn't I was not into him, uh, in this and that that, that the movie kind of suffered in my in my eyes, uh, for that. I didn't mind Travolta, and I think one of the big reasons is because everyone was expecting him to be the more over the top version, like he was in like in like Swordfish and you know, um, uh, Face Off and that kind of thing, and he was very subdued in this, which I thought was a, a nice change of pace for him. So I did like so. I think it was more just surprise at seeing Travolta not trying to chew all the scenery in sight. I, you know what, I'll, I'll co-sign on that because I definitely came into this, again, not having a super specific memory of it and expecting him to be chewing up the scenery. Like that mm -hmm. was really my, my view. I was like, oh, you know, and I, I agree. It definitely was more, more restrained than, than you would have expected. So I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. But uh, yeah, I think those are the, those are the two main things. And then, you know, ultimately, I don't know that it's really fair to fault the movie for this because it's meant to be an origin story and he's avenging mm -hmm. the deaths of his family. But so so again, like in and of itself, I think what we got is it works and it tracks and everything. But it's like you want to see the character now get to the next step to go beyond punishing those who hurt him and his family. Right. You want him out on the streets and acting his brand of justice. Yeah. And I guess that's where the next movie would have gone if they had made it, but we didn't, you know, we didn't get there. We didn't get there with this creative team and, and this actor. So it's like, you watch this whole movie and it's like, well, like he's, he is the Punisher, but not quite, not yet. And I, so I think that's like one of the big frustrations and missed opportunities with this. That is really the big thing for me because I had clocked it in the extended cut. The origin story takes 45 minutes to get through, right? It's 45 minutes before he, you know, recovers and then he goes back to Tampa and yeah, I'll agree with you. The Tampa setting is a really weird choice. I mean, I know that, you know, in the comics, Frank has gone to different cities and all that, and that's fine. But for the first one, you really should establish him in New York. Like, I think that's really kind of key to that character. In sequels, you can have him go to different places. But I think the first one really should be in New York. Or at least, and and I don't know exactly what what if this was creative or if it was more it was easier or cheaper to, to shoot in tampa or they just creatively they wanted to differentiate it from the other new york set superhero movies i i don't know but if it's not going to be new york i think if they had picked a city that still had somewhat of the same feel a level of grittiness if it was like chicago or mm -hmm. detroit or something, like i don't know like tampa yeah it, it just yeah. it just had such a different vibe to it like i said it's not the sort of thing like, I'm not going to die on that hill. It's not like, oh, that was, you know, that's that's where the movie fell apart. But it, it definitely felt like an odd choice. And I think it would have, yeah, I think the movie just would have had a more effective atmosphere and vibe. Yeah. In I'm not city. sure. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Tampa. Have you? 
I mean, I've been to Florida, but I don't okay. think I've ever been to Tampa. So I don't think I have. My my grandparents, when I was a kid, they had a they had a they had a summer condo in Clearwater, which is like right across the bridge from Tampa. So like I'd spent like every summer of my childhood up until like high school <clears throat> in like the Tampa area. So like I've been to Tampa. Like Tampa is not a place that you're right. It's it does it's not a place you associate with a lot of crime and lawlessness or grittiness. It's a place you associate with a bunch of old retirees. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So I, yeah, that, you know, that aspect of it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a little tough to get on board with. Yeah. It's also weird seeing the Punisher walk around in this long trench coat because Tampa's really fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, very, very true. Very true. Um, I think the, the origin story was, cause I think they, they made way too much of the origin story. I think it's, you know, and this is one of the things that I think that the, that Warzone did really well is it just did the origin story in very quick flashbacks, and that's all you really need. It doesn't have to be this whole long, out, drawn-out thing where they wipe out his entire family at a family reunion. I think that's it's way overdoing it. I think. Yeah, that was a bit much. Now I'll say, you know, that even watching this as a as a teenager, you know, that was, you know, that's it's hard to take, right? When you see his mm. family get slaughtered, especially now as a parent you know, especially the, when, when his wife and son are taken out, I mean, it's tough. And I, 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 overall, I like the way they, the way that sequence was, was put together and everything, but yeah, I mean, it really, I mean, talk about overkill. It's like, yeah, mm. the entire fam. And then you sort of wonder, I don't know, does it, I know his wife and son, they're saved for last and he finds them last and it is a powerful moment, but mm. part of you wonders like, does it, does it take some, a little something away from, from that, their deaths? Right, that it's part of this larger massacre mm. of the entire family. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, but... I did. I did feel some of that as well. Um, I think also making him an uh, an FBI agent was also a mistake because it, with the the Punisher's basic origin story, you know, he's you know, a, you know, he's been discharged, he's out of the army, and then he comes back home, and then it's this random act of violence, and that which drives him to continue going on to hunt all these different because that's what he's because he's not going just after the people who killed his family he's going after criminals in general people who hurt the innocent in general when you make it so specific to this is something that's connected to his work with the fbi i think you lose something from that origin story and also I, it raises the question of well i mean an fbi agent's entire family gets taken out the fbi is going to be pretty intense going after that i mean and i think the 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 director's cut does help mitigate this a little bit because you have his his partner being the one who so there's this question of you know who can i trust and all that and i get that but it's still it did leave that lingering question with me and i never had that before and all the other times i've watched it but that was something that stuck with me this time around i i'm totally with you i think and you see this bear out, obviously a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels between Frank Castle and Bruce Wayne, right? Mm -hmm. Losing immediate family members in a very violent way that traumatizes them and right. sets them on a path. And I think in both cases, you know, I've spent a lot more time with the character of Batman and different schools of thought there too. It's like, should it be Joe Chill? We know who it is and he's apprehended and he's brought to justice or should it be some unnamed faceless gunman who just mm -hmm. sort of represents all of the evil of Gotham city. That's forever out there. That's kind of where my, where, where I go. I prefer that iteration. Yeah. Same. Here. Then you have, 
then you have other takes where it's you know part of this court of owls conspiracy and and similarly with Punisher, it's been a while since I watched that first season of the Bernthal show, but I think there too, right? The idea was that there was the the government, right? Like it was a right. whole military angle to it, right? With, yeah, with yeah, that yeah. whole conspiracy. And that's the thing. I feel like I, to, I understand to an extent, right, where you want to try to build it out more, add more layers to it, find a new way to tell the story, put a different spin on it. Like I get that. But at the same time, there's something very primal and very elemental about the story as it is. And I mm. think when you add these layers of, of, of you know, intentionality or or conspiracy, it, I feel like it it takes a little something away. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you as well. And I and I think when you when it is more of that random act of violence, regardless of which character you're talking about, it makes their subsequent war on crime. They have very different methods, but like it makes that war that general war, right? Mm. It tracks a lot better. It makes more sense. Like that's what they're, what they're after because of what they experience, as opposed yeah, to yeah. this very specific targeting. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I felt the exact same way. It's um, another thing with this movie is it's, I feel like if you're going to be trying to adapt the, the Ennis welcome back, Frank stuff, go full out, right? Like go over the top. But I, but when you're trying to work in the Russian and all this, and the Russian's a very over-the-top character in the comics. Um, and we get a little bit of that, too, that over-the-top stuff with Harry Heck, with Mark Colley coming in and playing the song, which I love that scene, too. And I love, that was my favorite song from <laughs> the soundtrack, good. even, too. Yes. Um, but, and I, and I like that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, lean more into that. Like, lean more into the absurd stuff. Don't just, you know, don't hedge your bets so much, I think. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, it's tough. It's one of those things. Again, not not to co always compare to the MCU, but you know these these Marvel movies now have gotten so comedic, mm -hmm. so comedic. Uh, you might be able to tell that's not necessarily my preference. <laughs> I, I like some humor, but I feel like they've really you know kind of gone you know in that direction. And so you know you wonder if there's a little bit of tension here where they you know wanted to inject some humor, but they maybe didn't feel like. They they wanted to fight. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard to say. But uh, yeah, like those scenes uh, in the diner and with the Russian, uh, yeah, are are two of my two of my favorites as well. Yeah, I I like those scenes. I just wish that we had. If we're gonna go down that route, you know, go go full out. Like have the Russian be like you know, talk and have like the same kind of like bombastic personality he had in Welcome Back, Frank. Um, but I think when they're trying to ground it, then the Russian just seems like he walked in from a different movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do get what you're saying. I also, I want to say, I don't want to forget, again, going back to how I felt that it was refreshing to go back and watch this because, you know, even if this was a filmmaker's first movie, and I know I, know I was reading the, again, IMDb, talking about how the, the budget for this came in a lot lower than what yeah. filmmakers were, were intending, and they had to cut corners and stuff like that and scale it back. But all that being said, uh, I just appreciated how practical and then like tactile this movie felt. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're watching it and it's not a CGI fest. You know, right. you're actually seeing practical stunts uh, and also much more grounded smaller scale personal stakes you know one mm. of the things that drives me nuts with a lot of the current crop of superhero movies it's like always the fate of the world or the universe or the multiverse and i know mm. the spectacle and the scale like i know that's a draw for people i i can appreciate that but 
at the same time, sometimes I find myself having a hard time, like really connecting mm -hmm. with some of these stories. And you look at something like this and it's, this is a very, you know, there's something very visceral about this story and then the path that he goes on and the, and the not revenge, I suppose, but the punishment that, that he enacts <laughs> on, on this family. And it, it's really satisfying to watch. And it's very, you know, I mean, huge stakes on a, on a, personal level but mm -hmm. but small stakes compared to you know what we see in all these movies so the the practical effects and and just the the groundedness of it i really enjoyed especially compared to what we see now yeah i'm with you on that i do you know i, I mean i love the spectacle and all that but i think there is something to be said about you know some simpler stories right not everything has to be a big end of the world thing i think that was one of the things that disappointed me about the the third act of shang chi where you know, it's at, at the primal level, it's about this this son fighting the expectations of his father. And that should have really been at the core of that movie. But it, that got kind of lost in the shuffle in that third act when you have dragons and these, you know, mystic armies fighting each other. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. And um, well, the Spider-Man movies, I think, are a great example of this. Right. It's like every single one. Um, even before the MCU, like the the Raimi films had this too, and also the the Mark Webb films had this too, where it's always like some the whole city is has to be in peril, and it's like it doesn't have to be that way. Um, the Batman even I think had this kind of problem in the third act because up until the third act, I thought it it's very nice tight story. You've got the Riddler going around killing people and taunting Batman with these clues. But then we have to have these breaking down the seawalls and having the Riddler's army invade. And I think that it it pushed it too much for me. Yeah, I mean, that that movie. Yeah, that's still that's still work for me as opposed to. Yeah, like Shang-Chi, I think I, I kind of, uh, you know, overall enjoyed it well enough. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it definitely I, I didn't walk away from that uh, as high on that movie as I wanted to be. Whereas, the, the, you know, the Batman, I, I, you know, was still still invested in throughout. But, yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, ha again, having some variety in, these mm -hmm. movies in terms of what uh, of what we're dealing with here. So, I mean, yeah, I, I really appreciated that about this movie. It's unrelated to superhero movies, but I thought that I think one of the reasons why Casino Royale is one of the best Bond movies is because it does that. Right. It's just. It's not about, you know, some doomsday weapon. It's just a high stakes poker game. So this terrorist can, you know, avoid getting killed by the people he owes money to. It's, you know, it's really funny with the <laughs> real quick tangent, but with, but with Bond, I've never been a, or I had never been a huge Bond guy. I probably had seen some of the Bro Pierce Brosnan ones when I was a kid and mm -hmm. I played Goldeneye, but I, like I was not a Bond guy. And then Casino Royale came out and I went to see it in the theaters, like just the way I would another movie. It wasn't because it was Bond. It was just like, right. oh, like this looks cool. And I loved it. And I I still haven't seen the final uh, Daniel Craig one yet, but mm. all of the subsequent Daniel Craig movies, I'm just like, uh, none of these are really do. I mean, I like some more than others, right. but they never really did it for me the way Casino Royale did. And, and, and so, but, you know, like hearing you, you know, talk about it, it's like, yeah, that's true. I mean, I think it really was in, in its own category. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of a trend with the recent Bond movies, because Brosnan had that, too, where the first one was like this amazing outing and none of the other ones lived up to it. Um, mm. But that's I, I was a Bond fan from way back because my dad loved those movies. So, like, I had watched all of those growing up. Um, but going back to this movie, uh, what did you think of the how they handled the three neighbors? 
I liked I liked it overall. I mm. think that you know we talked about restraint with Travolta's performance. I thought that there was a fair amount of restraint here. It's like you, I guess maybe the thought would be it would be too oppressively dark if he's you know just you know on his quest and barely speaking or communicating mm. or articulating anything or or you know kind of having the audience not having explained for the audience, right? But like viewing the character through someone else's eyes. So right. like, I think these characters serve a vital function in, in the movie. But where I appreciated the restraint was that, you know, you see that he, there's a level of him caring for them, but I feel like it would have been very, very easy for this movie to, you know, really have him become far more invested in in the relationships with these neighbors for more of a romance to develop mm-hmm. with uh, with the Joan character. And, and they held back on that. And even the fact that he leaves at the end, like this, you know, mm. I, so I like that aspect of it. So I, I guess I appreciated the the role that they served and I'm glad that they didn't, uh, you know, go into the, I guess like the easier Hollywood uh, version of the story. And what was your take on it? I mostly I'm with you. I think there's, um, cause I, that was one of my big worries when I saw the trailers, like I was worried they were gonna have, you know, some sort of like romance subplot between him and Joan and and it was a really weird choice because i'm not sure if you remember in um welcome back frank but joan is a very different character right she's called joan the mouse in that in that series because she's so meek and just shy and when you say that you're gonna have wreck of romaine play that character i'm like that's a that's a choice okay but they'd come they basically she's a completely different character in this and i thought that the way they handled her character here and i thought romaine's performance was really good i thought she did a really good job with um, what she had to work with here and it made a lot of sense why she'd be kind of drawn to Frank in this way um, but I, I did love how he keeps her at, at arm's length he keeps all of them at arm's length and that was something I thought it was not what I expected but I'm glad that they went with that route um, I did feel that and maybe this was the thing about the extended cut I'm not sure how much of this was in the theatrical cut but I did feel like some of it went a little pushed too much. Like the whole Thanksgiving scene was a little bit much. Um, and also uh, Dave's line about your, your, your family. I'm like, yeah. I had the, that line jumped out at me too. It's like, all right, buddy, pump the brake now. Yeah. You know, from Dave's perspective, right. Clearly Frank made a very powerful impression. Like, you know, no one's ever stood up for me before and, and all of that, but yeah, the, your family thing. I mean, you know, Again, I guess it's a matter of perspective, and we don't have his whole backstory. And you know, I guess his, his mother had been in prison. I think was right. the thing that he was thankful for that she had just gotten out. So, you know, we don't know exactly where he's coming from. The fact that they're all under the same roof, even though they're in you know different different units and everything, mm-hmm. you know, I, maybe for him that's enough. But yeah, the your family thing, it's like well, we're getting there. Really, I feel like we've skipped over a lot here. But... Yeah, I also thought it was. I was wondering, if, and I never thought about this before. And this might be kind of a minor quibble, but I think. It, I, I did find myself wondering, I'm like, what kind of building is this where he'd constructed this elevator beneath this, his apartment in this otherwise building that's falling apart? <laughs> yeah, there's that. I, I mean, I will say one more thing with Dave. I, I This I remembered vividly from the first time I watched it was when uh, Saints guys rip out uh, mm. the, the lip rings and, and the, the, the eyebrow. eyebrow. Yeah. You know, that that was that was rough. And at the same time, and I, this is being this is being nitpicky, but it's just like, why couldn't they have tr- tried to convince Saints guys that Castle left? 
It's like, you know, he left. I don't know. We don't know the guy. He left. Again, I still think the end result would have been the same, but it's like, I, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there. It's like, try something. Like, mm-hmm. they're so, like, that's the thing. And I, you appreciate the loyalty. And they're so quick to be like, we're not telling you anything. But it's like, well, try to tell them something. And like, I know. Get them out of here. <laughs> that, that, that always jumps out to me. It's like, we're not telling you nothing. I'm like, dude, you could just say, like, we just live here. We don't know where the guy is. And well, and the thing is, it's like, you know, after the fight with the Russian, you know, Frank collapses at the bottom of the stairs, right? Mm -hmm. It's plausible. Like he crawled away. Yeah. You know? So, and then the other thing that kind of ties in with the building to an extent, I guess, is it was, it was one thing that was weird is like Saint is trying to find Castle. Mm -hmm. They don't know where he is, but every, every assassin that they hire (laughs) finds him super easily. I was, th- I guess these are just, re- these assassins are just really good trackers. <laughs> I guess. I mean, like that's something that, not that I would have needed much time on this, but I would have appreciated whether it was with um, the, the Marcali character or, or, or the Russia, like just even just like a 30 second thing of showing how they tracked mm-hmm. him down because it's like this big mystery. No one can find him and they just keep tracking him down. No problem. And then kind of along the same lines, if we're talking about gripes, uh, it was a curious choice to me, I guess, in terms of military strategy to reveal that he was alive yeah. to everyone. And I get that it's like, okay, he wants Saint to know, like, I'm coming for you. I, I get that. But it's all, I don't know that that really rings true for me, especially for this character. Yeah, I think it makes more sense in the extended cut when you have that whole subplot with Weeks and yeah. and him betraying him because you get the sense that, because at, in, the, in the scene when he confronts Weeks at the end, you know, Weeks asks him, how long have you known? And he says, oh, for sure. And he's just like, but it, which implies that he's been known, he's suspected all along. And like, he's had several interactions with Weeks since he came back. And you get the sense that he's doing this to learn more about what Weeks is up to, to see if he can intimidate him into revealing something. And so it did make a whole lot more sense there, but, but you're right. It is a questionable strategy if your whole thing is trying to, get back at this guy and also that is also the problem with the the whole fbi agent thing where if the fbi agent comes back and he's alive i'm an eyewitness to my family's massacre you think the fbi would take that a little bit seriously from one of their own yes yeah so i think you do have a couple of uh of issues there i you know this this business with him being an fbi agent um you know one of the max stories that i do remember is the born miniseries oh yeah yeah where, you know, we get this idea and I haven't been reading the current comics, but I've been reading articles here and there. And it seems like they're taking this even a step further in the current comics, this idea of sort of the Punisher existing within Frank, mm-hmm. even before his family is killed. Yeah. Right. Like in Born, it's this idea that in the war, like this, there's this beast within him. Mm-hmm. And then again, from what I've been reading about the current comics, I and I could be totally off on this, but it's it seems like they're kind of delving into his childhood and that this was a part of him from even earlier on. I, you know, your mileage on that may vary whether you like it or not, but I don't know this notion that he's this haunted man to begin with and that there's something within him. And then the murder of his family brings it out. I, I do think there's something compelling about that. You know, you watch him as the FBI agent and at the family reunion and he's like pretty well adjusted. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. it seems for the most part, uh, which again, I, I don't think it's a, it's, you know, I, I'm not not a knock on the movie per se, but I, I do think that there's 
I don't know, there's potential to mine more interesting psychological territory. Eh, you know, that maybe doesn't place for that here. But that was the other thing that I was thinking about watching him in his FBI mode. It's just like, eh, I don't know that this really, again, rings true to what I think of as the character. Totally. Exactly. No, I, I felt the exact same thing. I think one of the things that the the Netflix series did really well is it really dug into the PTSD side of it. Whereas, and that would have made so much sense in this setting, why he doesn't trust anyone else in the FBI, why he's he wants it to be known that he's back. All that stuff would have made so much more sense if they had played up that PTSD angle. But and they I think they had had ideas to do some of that because they had had this scene in mind in um in Iraq or in Afghanistan when he was in the, or during in the Gulf War. So it was Iraq. And there would have been like this big intense firefight scene or something but they didn't have the budget because they kept slashing the budget as you'd mentioned and the extended cut they do do it as kind of like an animated thing but it's not quite the same so it it i think the film loses something and i think if you would cut out a lot of the family reunion stuff we could have focused more on the ptsd stuff yeah oh the animated thing now that's really ringing a bell and now i'm like did i see the extended cut I it, don't think so well it may have also been i think it may have been an extra on uh on one of the dvds so maybe okay too. so maybe that was it because that's definitely ringing a bell okay yeah maybe that was the guy so i probably did i feel like maybe i did own the dvd otherwise it would have been what 2004 <laughs> yeah. Net, netflix in the mail or blockbuster might have been yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> would have been how i saw it um and we haven't talked a whole lot about Tom Jane in general here. What was kind of like your overall impressions of him, especially because, you know, even though we've had so few Punisher productions, we've had so many different actors playing this character. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, I think it, it speaks to the strength of his performance that as much as the John Bernthal one it is my favorite and is far more recent. And I mm. you spend a lot more time with him over the couple of seasons, but, uh, I mean, I really, I really, really enjoyed uh, Jane's version, the physicality he brought to it. I mean, he really, you know, beefed up and and looked the part and the voice, the intensity, you know, I just, I, I bought into it. Now, obviously I want to, I want to know what, what you thought, but have you ever watched the HBO show Hung? No, I haven't, but I, I've been curious about it. Um... So what's funny about that is, so that's where he plays a, a, a gigolo and, uh, in the show, what's what's funny is he his co-star in that is Eddie Jemison, who plays Mick. Mickey, yeah, yeah. Mickey I re I read that in the trivia. Yeah, and so in Hung, uh, he the Mickey character is the new husband of Tom Jane's ex-wife, played by the late uh, Anne Heche. Uh, so it was, and I had seen, I only, I didn't watch all of that HBO show, but I watched, I think the first season of it. And uh, so, yeah, it was funny now to go back and watch this and see the two of them uh, share the screen. <laughs> but yes, what was your take on Tom? I know you said you were a fan back in the day that it, you know, did his performance hold up for you? Yeah, I think um, as much as I love Burnfall, Burnfall's really playing a different character from the comics, I think. And I think you kind of have to do that if you're doing a TV show about the Punisher, because the Punisher is not much of a character he's more of like a force of nature which i think ennis really captured well in that max run because it's just like he's not really the the character who grows and changes in those stories it's the other supporting characters who do um whereas the so if you're going to do a tv show around that kind of guy you really got to give him a personality and he doesn't have one of those really in the comics and i thought jane did a really good job of capturing what I think of as Frank Castle in the comics. I thought he had managed to really get that intense, especially, and I think this is one of the ways where his, one of the things I like about having him 
showing his pre-Punisher life does work is it shows that contrast between the two where you see him, like you had mentioned, he's this regular, seemingly well-adjusted guy. And then after that, you know, he's this you know hard drinking, he's, you know, grumpy all the time. And, but he's got that spark of humanity in him somewhere still, which is why he helps out uh, with Joan and Dave and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that I thought he did a really good job. He's still, if you're talking overall performance, Bernthal is my favorite, but if you're talking comics accurate portrayals, I think I'd have to give it to Jane. Yeah, that's fair. No, I, I would echo everything you said. And just a quick side note, as far as the hard drinking, uh, wild turkey is his bourbon of choice which mm. i am also a big fan of that's, that's probably my like number one or number two so it was funny to see uh to see that in there i'm much more <laughs> of a scotch guy myself so, but I did, fair enough fair but enough. I, I did um i did i in fact i don't think i'd ever seen wild turkey before this movie and then after that i was seeing it like it's one of those things where you know where you see something in a movie and then you notice oh wow this is a lot more ubiquitous than i realized yeah i will say i'm partial to i think he was drinking the standard wild turkey i'm partial to the 101 and the rare breed so mm-hmm. some of their uh their their variations but uh yeah no it was uh it was cool to see it yeah i mean and, and again just as far as you know him him in this it's like you really bought the the strategic mind the the military approach the you know when you see him outfitting the car and the mm-hmm. apartment and uh and it's also he, he walks a fine line because he's Again, in terms of the physicality, I feel like, you know, imposing enough that you buy him taking out all of these characters, but when he's getting his ass kicked by the Russian, and of course that's an exaggerated circumstance because the Russian is so over the top, but still it's like you, you buy him in that context too. I, I feel like he, he really was able to, to, to walk a, a delicate line there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the military strategy thing, because that was something else I appreciated about this, um, because I think too often there's just this view of the Punisher, it's just like, oh, he just goes in guns blazing and all that. And yeah, there are times when he does that, but, you know, for him to have killed as many people as he has for as long as he has, he's got to have some strategic instincts. And I think, and I did like that he did, you did see him employing strategy in this. Um, you know, the whole thing where he's manipulating uh, Saint against his wife and against um, uh, what was his henchman's name, I'm forgetting, blanking on it now, the Will Patton character. Um, I thought all of that was really well done. I'm blanking and, on it too. <laughs> Will Patton came to mind. <laughs> Will Patton. That, that's all I can remember was Will Patton. I just, um, which I did think, I, I loved him in this movie too. I thought he did a great job. I thought he was a really good villain. And I'd almost found myself wishing that he had played the main bad guy. Yes. Oh yeah. A thousand percent. I, I, I'm with you on that. I think that would have been, I think that would have been the better casting. But yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, this whole this whole thing that Castle sets up, like you said, right, making making Saint think that his wife is having the affair, it's like you 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 know you need that. I mean, I think it shows you again the 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 strategic mind of the character, but it also again, if he's just going around like walking into places and shooting them up, and I you know I don't know that you that that's something that's really going to necessarily like resonate and and carry a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here to like really see. The, the lengths that he goes to and it's and it's not yes it's ultimately the physical punishment but it's the psychological yeah, punishment yeah. as well so there's there are these different components to it and you see like that's the thing as far as the strategy like you really see him dismantling mm-hmm. this guy's operation you know taking out the money right and ruining his business relationship with the cubans 
and and then you know tearing apart his personal life, making the guy think that his wife's having an affair. You know, all of these things build and build until when you have that final confrontation. Saint's already a broken man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Castle's taken away everything from him. So it's, a, again, like I said before, like very visceral and very satisfying to to watch Castle go about all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also liked seeing Laura Herring in this. I'm not sure. And I remember her. I'm not sure if you ever seen Mulholland Drive, but she was in that. And just that was that was like one of my favorite David Lynch movies ever made. And so I just wanted to drop name drop that real quick. Gotcha. Very nice. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Overall, I think it's, and I did like that, and that was, I think, a weakness of um, Warzone, is it did just go with the guns blazing approach, and another thing, too, is I like, I think they really nailed the look of the Punisher in this, um, more so than anything else until the Netflix series, uh, the, but the whole just, like, it's just the, this stained t-shirt type of thing, and he's and he's got the trench coat, he looks like he stepped on, off a of Tim Bradstreet cover, and I thought that was really well done. And especially when you compare it to Warzone, because he's wearing this really heavy vest and with the the high collar, I kept thinking that he's wearing a neck brace every time I saw him in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Especially after after watching this, I am more curious to rewatch Warzone and to finally watch the Dolph Lundgren one and, and just, you know, compare. Maybe I will do that. Maybe I'll check out the extended cut of this and the other two movies because I, I feel like I'm kind of in a, in a zone now. No pun intended. I mean, don't have your expectations too high, but I think they're they're worth a watch. Yeah. yeah look, again, with Warzone, I, I just have the memory of that one time that I saw it in the theater on that opening night and be like, this is terrible. But, I, you know. I'd be curious to watch it again. And again, yeah. not, ex not expecting, expecting a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else I wanted to mention about this? Uh, well, I think the, the line about the punishment, right. I did like that line that, and it shows him, you know, writing stuff down in the war journal. I did like all that, but I did feel like the, and it's a good line. I'm not, gonna, you know, it is a really good line. This is not vengeance. It's punishment. At the same time though, in this context, I'm like, Really, dude? I mean, it seems like vengeance to me. Yes. And that's the thing. I, 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 had, the, I had the exact same thought where it's like, cool line. Don't know if it really applies <laughs> here. And, and maybe that's where it's interesting, right? Like hearing you talk about the extended cut and it's the subplot with the, his former partner betraying him. I mean, you know, maybe that's a missed opportunity. Maybe instead of that, that again, deleted or not, the fact that you had this subplot, but it was still someone targeting him acting against him specifically i feel like there was room regardless of which cut we're talking about to to kind of show him punishing others mm -hmm. even if it doesn't have anything to do with him and you know you get that really i think the only instance of that is the ex-boyfriend of jones who shows up you know looking to get into her apartment and slaps dave around and that's right. when you know, frank stands up to him and so you have that but you know i don't think that you can't hang too much on that i feel like you needed to see more of him operating beyond what's been done to him. Mm -hmm. And then I think that line works yes. better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even in the scene with Jones ex-boyfriend that it feels like if he wasn't in that place at that time, he wouldn't have gotten involved. So I think that, that also, if we saw him actually going out and trying to find people that would have definitely helped out a lot. I mean, I think if there's a, there's a really good movie if it was kind of a similar thing I said with Superman Returns and Man of Steel. There's a really good movie in 
Punisher and Warzone if you mix and match elements of them together. Yeah, fair. I mean, that's fair fair enough. And, you know, I guess the other thing that I wonder with that line in particular, maybe it would have worked better at the end. You know, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe if the line had been something along the lines of, you know, this was revenge, mm -hmm. but I realized that this is not... <laughs> You know, this is not the path forward. It's, you know, something like that. Because again, I think when you look at what he's actually doing, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to see it as as revenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, that last shot when I thought it was a weird choice because Hensley had said that he didn't want any music at the end there because he didn't want it to be like a typical superhero ending. At the same time, it it feels like a typical superhero movie ending. So when you get to that black, you're like wait a minute, I feel like there's something missing here. So I think they kind of structure that to be too much, like this big dramatic ending, where I, I think it would have worked better if we had seen him in like Punisher mode, like, you know, going after some some crooks or something like that. And then like we see like, you know, him pointing a gun and like call me the Punisher and then fades to black and gunshot or something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the, you know, the lack of music there, I, I can I can appreciate the choice. And I, I I read that too. And I, you know, that makes sense. Although counterpoint, you know, you can have just you can have music. It just maybe it's not going to be the soaring exactly superhero yeah. music yeah. that that rouses us at the end of a movie. It could be different music, but mm -hmm. you went with no music, that's fine. For me, it was just kind of like, why? <laughs> you know, it's like it's a cool shot, but it's like, why is he just standing on the bridge? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And I think had they gone with what you suggested, I think that uh, avoids the awkwardness of the ending that we got. And it also, I think it addresses maybe our fundamental issue with the movie, where it's like you actually get to see him <laughs> be the Punisher and, and enter this next phase. And 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 again, to actually have it shown mm -hmm. rather than told to us, because he tells us like Frank Castle is dead. I'm the Punisher. But it's like, all right, you don't get to actually see him do it. So I think what you suggested, I think that would have, uh, it would have, tied everything together better absolutely yeah um now this movie didn't get any sequel films but it did have two kind of sequels in a way did you ever see um the dirty laundry short i did man it's been a long time but yes i did god that thing was that was such a perfect example of of frank castle and i i thought that was when i saw that i'm like god why can't they bring him back I know, you know, that's the, that's the tough thing with, uh, you know, with, with these movies when, you know, they don't accomplish what they need to, mm -hmm. you know, critically or commercially, but there are very strong ingredients there, especially when you're talking about an actor. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always seem to bring up the, you know, the, the Snyder movies, but it's like, regardless of what you feel about the, the filmmaker, you know, there does seem to be a lot of support for Henry Cavill as Superman. And it, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. And so it's like one of these things where it's 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 so tough when you have someone who, you know, really brings the character to life in a way that, you know, people can really get on board with. And and especially, I guess some would make the same argument of the Snyder movies. I won't go there. But especially <laughs> in the case of like the Punisher with like this version of Frank Castle, it's like just at the point where he's fully the version of the character from the comics that you want to see more of and you want to go with him on that journey it, it just stops like it's it, it's really it's it's disappointing well i think the 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 snyder films are a very good i think that's a good comparison even though you know i've made my feelings on those very clear but um one thing we can definitely agree on is that henry cavill deserved to have a lot more movies as superman especially when we do get to see him in 
in more Superman mode. I thought like, I'm like, oh, this is right there. We're right there. And just, and then stops. Um, even Brandon Routh too is Superman too. That's the same kind of idea, right? Or um, Andrew Garfield is Spider-Man. Like these characters who had, had these really great short outings as these characters. And it's just like, right when they're right on the cusp of something amazing, it, it stops. And that's a, that is a real tragedy. I mean, I think I, one of the things I would think I would love to see is if you did almost like a, a Punisher Max version with Tom Jane, but instead of, you know, setting it in the modern day, maybe setting it in that 70s post-Vietnam era. Yeah, man. I think that would be really cool. Or it's like, even if you did set it in the present day, I mean, now that he's older, you know, it could be like that Punisher Max version. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. he, you know, he's older and he, you know, fought in Vietnam or whatever, you know, whatever, however, you know, you, you want to do it. But yeah, I don't know. For all the talk of the multiverse and seeing the variants and different versions of characters, I, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be much interest uh, in in bringing back this iteration. Uh, I think you know. it's I think it's a tough one because with a lot of these other characters, you can the multiverse component makes it a lot easier like you know fantastic four you can easily picture multiverse versions of them x-men easy spider-man easy superman but when it comes to the punisher such a grounded character and you're talking about multiverse stuff it feels like you're you're losing something there yeah although you know as of this recording you know recently they announced the sequel to the constantine movie with keanu reed so i was like you never know you never never know know. but yeah i know it would be cool to see him get another outing as the character um and i you know, this this wasn't an argument that I, I think I would have made, you know, two days ago. Mm. But now after rewatching this, it's like, yeah, man, he was really good. And this was a solid movie. I, I really feel like for anyone who hasn't watched it or or just kind of wrote it off or forgot it, it's like, go back and, and give it a spin because it's it's a solid movie. It's not, you know, again, I don't want to like oversell it, here, mm-hmm. but but it's a solid it's a solid movie. It's got some good performances in it. It's got it's got a lot of solid scenes. It's got some good action. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, and you know, when you were talking about Snyder too, it made me think he would actually be a really good choice to direct a more like Ennis version of like the Welcome Back Frank storyline because he can do that kind of over the top action stuff. And I think you know that would be really interesting to see. Yeah, that, I, yeah, I'd be on board with that. I, yeah, I mean, you know, we're at this point right now where i know disney plus is doing a daredevil show bringing back the charlie cox version from you know from the netflix shows but mm-hmm. it's like I, as of right now it's like we don't know what if any future there is for the punisher it's like i'm sure they're planning something right but but i don't but then again i don't know it's hard to say especially it's disney i mean it's marvel but but it's disney so it's mm-hmm. like I, I don't i don't know so i <laughs> So I want to get something and, and uh, you know, whether it's Bernthal, whether it's Tom Jane, as unlikely as it is, it's like, I, you know, I'd like to see the character get another go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There was also one other kind of sequel to this. Did you ever play the Punisher video game? No. On the PS2? Oh God. So Tom Jane did the voice in that and Howard Saint's son, uh, what was his name? I can't remember his name, but he, he, the one he gives the grenade to, he had survived and he became Jigsaw in the video game. And oh, that's cool. It was it was such a really good game, and it was so Garth Ennis co-wrote the script with Jonathan Hensley, I think actually. So it was very true to the comics, but it was also it also served as kind of a sequel to this movie. There were some changes, like um, for example, he is a Vietnam War vet in that, but but other than that, it's basically this, it's basically a sequel to the movie. Um, 
and God, that's one of those things where the game's out of print now, obviously, and it's not available anywhere because of rights issues and all that. But if by some way you can find a way to play that game, it is, it was such a blast to play. Oh, that wait, you say PlayStation or PS2? It was PS2. PS2. All right. I'll check. I, even if there's just a, like a, I know a lot of people post gameplays on YouTube. It's like, even mm-hmm. if something like that exists, I'd be curious just to see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had, there was one mechanic they had there where they had these interactive torture scenes where you had this option to like, um, to interrogate someone. And at the end you had the option to kind of like let them go or to like torture them with like whatever environmental thing was there. And it was, it was brutal. <laughs> it was definitely, it, and it's definitely wrote some of that. Yeah. Sounds like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, any, uh, I think that basically brings us to the end uh, of Punisher. You know, like we said, it's decent film, you know, some missed opportunities, especially with the actor you know, getting a better shake after this, because he was really committed to doing the sequel for a long time. And then it just kept getting delayed and delayed and he finally just gave up. It's like when you when you kind of pull together our various uh, suggestions here, mm. it's like, if this movie had been set in New York, if Will Patton had played Howard Saint, if you got the ending that you suggested where you actually get to see him in action against random criminals, not mm-hmm. the people who killed his family. It's like a few of those things. And, you know, maybe a little, little other tinkering here and there. But, like, I feel like those main pieces, I you know, I think this movie really gets to another level. Absolutely. But definitely. Even as it is, again, definitely worth definitely worth a watch. And that, so, you know, th- thank you for having me. And thank you for the opportunity to go back and watch the movie because I, I really... I really enjoyed it, like, and even more so than I expected to. It was, it was a cool, uh, cool experience. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for requesting it. I definitely um, a lot of fun having you back on again. Um, and uh, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, so I have two Superman themed podcasts right now. One is called Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey, and the other is another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, where we are rewatching the George Reeves television series. Uh, so both of those shows are available on all major podcast platforms. Uh, I would say if you're curious about that or any of my other shows or documentaries, the main hub, the main place to go is flatsquirrelproductions.com. So uh, links to everything are there. And uh, I hope you'll check out some of the shows and I hope you enjoy. Also, um, we talked a little bit off mic about this, but if anyone's interested, he at the time of this record, you guys will listen to this. It's been out for a while. But at the time of this recording, it's you know September. He just came out with the first episode of what's it called? Summoning the Zords. Oh, yes. I and mean, yeah, we've got a few different podcasts going, but yes. Uh, so I also have for any Power Rangers fans out there, uh, I do have a show called Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. And uh, yeah, we were talking off mic. It's, you know, that was along with Superman, like that was the big fandom of my mm. childhood. And Superman has stayed with me all these years and I've continued reading and watching, but Power Rangers was, you know, just sort of something that was part of my life as a kid and then not so much moving forward with you know, limited, limited exceptions here and there. Right. Uh, but it's like to go back and rewatch and then to read the new comics. It's, it's so fascinating. So yeah, any Power Rangers fans, it's called Summoning the Zords. Yeah. Okay. Well, Anthony, thanks again for coming on. And as always, anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome to. Thank you so much. All right. That does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephile. Superherocinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And remember, if you subscribe to the, the Patreon page, you get these episodes a week in advance. Plus, you also have the companion show, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club, where we talk about comics and graphic novels, all that fun stuff. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. 
If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.